As you're opening up in your Bibles to Psalm 105, I just want to say that today's sermon is going to be a bit different than a usual Sunday. In fact, it's not really a sermon at all. Today what we're doing is our annual reporting. We're talking about missional faithfulness in 2012. We're going to reveal, talk about, and celebrate what God has done in and through our church for His glory, by His grace, over the last year. Okay, missional faithfulness reporting and vision for 2012 and 13. So, a bit of a different Sunday. If you're here visiting, we're glad that you're here. We love that you're here. Just keep in mind that you're not really going to get a sense of what our normal Sunday preaching is like. It's going to be different in nature, uh, tone, tenor, and topic. I need to warn you, it's going to be a little bit longer than usual. So, if that's problematic for you, uh, you might want to leave sooner than later, so you don't distract all of us when you leave later. It's going to be a little bit longer than usual. We have a lot to talk about, but it's all really good stuff. Um, so we'll have a little less time for musical and praise, praise and worship at the end, but we will get there, and there'll be much to thank the Lord for. So if you're here visiting, keep those things in mind. Maybe you want to come back on another Sunday. Maybe not. I don't know. 50-50. If you're here checking reality out and wondering if you might want to make this your church home, it's actually a very good Sunday. You'll, you'll learn much of what you would be getting into. Uh, today is largely a family affair. Okay, It's for those of us that call reality home and are committed to Christ, this local church, and one another and the mission that God has called us to together. So we'll be talking about that mission and trying to assess our degree of faithfulness to it. Are we, as reality, being faithful to what God has called us to do together? In doing this, we're taking our cue from the book of Acts, the 14th chapter, the 27th verse, where Paul and Barnabas were with a church in Antioch, Syrian Antioch, not the Antioch in Greece. And I think it was their Paul's third missionary journey, and they gathered together the church in Antioch, and it says, they gathered them together and reported all that God had done. Think how awesome it would have been to hear the Apostle Paul say, all right, guys, check it out. Here's all that God has done in the last year on the recent missionary journeys. That's exactly what he was doing that day, and that's exactly what we'll be doing. Might not, as be, might not be as awesome as the Apostle Paul, but there are awesome things to report. So in that spirit, that biblical spirit of gathering the church together and reporting what God has done, the elders have asked me to give sort of a state of the union address to reveal where we are as a church in measurable biblical practices. To report, as I said, what God has done in the last year or two. These things are going to give us much to rejoice about, much to be thankful for, many reasons to be humbled before the Lord and one another in light of His grace on us. And it will also expose some areas where we need, by grace, to grow as a church together. We're also going to talk a little bit about vision today, but we're going to mostly save the vision component for the next few weeks. Okay, We'll be talking about vision and what the next few years, short-term and long-term, will look like. Um, and mission as well, who we are, where we're going, and how we get there. But today we're going to concentrate on reporting and rejoicing in all that God has done. I want you to be mindful as you listen to these things of the goal, okay? Because if this is your church home, the goal is important. The goal is that those of us that call reality home will get a better sense of what God is doing. Because in a church this large, it's, it's not always easy to discern that, all the different stuff. A better sense of what God uh, has been doing 
how the mission to make disciples is progressing. And are we actually progressing? Whether or not we're being faithful together with what God has entrusted us with. And what is to come. In order that, listen to this, okay? In order that, we can more confidently commit to the local church, to one another, and the mission that Christ is calling to. Okay, that we can more confidently commit to, be involved in, give ourselves to the mission of Christ in the coastlands and beyond for his glory. So as a backdrop to get the right heart, I just want to read part of Psalm 105. Okay, I'm reading from the New Living Translation right now. It says, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Sing to him, yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. You children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. Let's pray. Lord, give us that heart that we would remember all that you, by grace and for your glory, have done and are doing in our midst, that Jesus, you would continue to be the source and centerpiece of our church and our joy and our life together in the way that we live our lives, that you would cause us to rejoice over what you're doing, you give us vision to continue in what you're doing. You would call us deeply into the things of your heart and your work as you're in our communities on mission for your glory. And so, Lord, please anoint me to share these things. It's a little different than normal preaching. Please help me, Lord. I, I desperately love this church and these people, but not nearly as much as you do. So by your Holy Spirit, help me to communicate faithfully in a way that brings much glory to your name and serves your purposes in the church. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we're going to talk about faithfulness in the local church, it would behoove us to remind ourselves of what the local church is and what the local church ought to be doing. First of all, when we think about local church, we have to realize that there is actually only one church. Okay, There's actually only the church universal, the body of Christ, those who have been born again by the Spirit of God through faith and repentance. Okay, One church in the whole world, the body of Christ. Okay, There's only one. But then you have local expressions and local gatherings of the redeemed, of the saints, of the body of Christ. Okay, Part of the one universal church, those who have been born again through faith and repentance, local expressions and gatherings thereof. And then within the local church, you also have the church gathered and the church scattered. Right, The church comes together for worship and the church scatters for mission. The local church is never to be understood as a building, right? That's not what it is. It's the people of God gathered together to worship and then scattered into the community on mission. So we might define the local church variously, but in this way we'll work. A connected, worshiping community of redeemed sinners, saved by Christ through grace, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit for mission, and existing for the pleasure of the Father. Okay? There it is, the church. And what the local church ought to be doing is joining Christ in his work of making disciples for himself. 
What do we do as a local church? What are we all about? Making disciples for Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, it's important to say that the local church has leaders, but it is not merely its leaders. We need to do away with this false dichotomy of uh, laity and clergy, right? The, the, the people that come to church and the people that supposedly run the church. There are leaders. The local church is never less than its leaders. God always ordains leaders and structure whenever God does anything. If you don't get that, you just haven't read the Bible. There are leaders, but the church is not the leaders. The church is all of us together, and we all play a part. We believe in the priesthood of the saints, as the Apostle Peter taught in his epistle, right? That every member is a minister, that we're all called to live faithful lives of mission for the glory of God. And within that, there's leadership structure. But let's not have it be an us-they thing. It's a we thing. Okay, the church is us together, level playing field at the foot of the cross. We also need to realize as we're reporting what God has done that we have sort of a specialized church, right? We're a multi-campus church. We're one church in three locations, Santa Barbara, Carpinteria, I want to say what's up to the Carpinteria campus. And Ventura, I want to say what's up to the Ventura campus. We're one church in three locations. And so all the metrics that we're going to give today encompass those three campuses. Okay, It's all of us together as we're spread out through the coastlands. And I just want to remind us that in being a local church, we desperately want to be faithful to Jesus because it is all about Jesus. Amen? He's the head. He's the chief leader. He's the senior pastor of this church. He's the source and centerpiece of our gathering and our mission and our lives together. He's the reason that we exist and do these things. So we want to be faithful to Jesus with our resources, with our gifts, with our talents, with our finances, with our time. We want to be faithful in accomplishing with Christ what Christ intends to accomplish in the world, through his church, for his glory. Now, having said those things, let's move through some biblical understandings of the local church and accompanying metrics that are going to help us ascertain what and how we're doing in the mission. Reality, how are we doing? Well, first thing we'll say is this. In a local church, people ought to be getting saved and baptized. Right? People ought to be getting saved and baptized. The book of Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And we know from the book of Acts they were being baptized. In the last two years we have baptized 407 people at Reality to the Glory of God. That's good. 407 People that will be in heaven with us to the glory of God. Uh, that's wonderful. When we report something like that, the first thing that we want to say is Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Right? Much to celebrate, 407 baptisms in the last couple years in the coastlands. Not to us, but to his name be the glory. Second thing, in a local church... People ought to gather together en masse to worship. Again, the book of Acts, chapter 2. All those who had believed were together, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. The church always got together in large groups whenever they could. 
in the book of Acts and throughout history. Hebrews encourages us to do so, chapter 10. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So the church ought to gather together en masse. So we can report that our average weekly attendance, adults and children, between our three campuses is 2,725 people. Okay, that's how many people every single week gather in our three campuses together to worship Jesus. Um, our high attendance was Easter, which was over 8,000 people. But that's obviously an abnormal Sunday gathering. But it was fun, and it will be fun again this year. So that puts us in this peculiar group of churches in America known as mega churches. All sorts of negative and positive connotations go along with that phrase. We don't ever use it very often. Uh, but it's important for us to have a little bit of how unique that is for our self-understanding. Churches our size in America account for less than one-half of one percent of all the churches in America. Less than one-half of one percent of all the churches in America. But the number of churches our size is increasing rapidly in America. So God seems to be doing something. But there's our general church size. Thirdly, in a local church, people ought to gather in small groups throughout the week. So we get together in a big group. And what the church should do is get together in small groups. We also see this in the book of Acts chapter 2. And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. It's really important, guys, that as our church gets larger, that our church also gets smaller. Okay, with a church this size, with thousands of people, it's real easy to slip through the cracks, right? Just kind of disappear, to hide out, to hide in our sin, to hide in our bitterness, to hide in our woundedness, uh, to not interact, to not have faithful Christian community. So we have to commit ourselves as a large church to becoming a small church, which means we meet in small groups, community groups. And right now we have 42 community groups with 76 trained leaders. And when we did sign-ups, 1,683 of you signed up for a community group. That's 74% of our church that signed up for a community group. That's excellent. That is awesome. That's a really high percentage of sign-ups. Now, we haven't maintained that percentage of show-ups. I know, life happens, I, I get that, believe me. A lot of good intention, we started really well, we haven't quite finished as well as we started. We've got to commit ourselves to the small gatherings if we're going to continue to be healthy and to grow together. And we need to grow and raise up more leaders. If you do the math with only 42 community groups in a church our size, the average size of the community group is 40 people. Our goal is 10 people in a community group. So maybe God is calling some of you to be leaders. This year we'll train you to become group leaders. We need to quadruple the number of community groups that we have at our church. But it's important that we have deep, connected, God-ordained, loving relationships because that's what God models for us as the Trinity. And we, in light of God, are a relational people. Next, in a local church, people ought to be giving themselves to the study of Scripture. 
Again, the book of Acts chapter 2 says about the early church, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to scripture. They were devoted to doctrine. They were devoted to theological understanding. And we offer at Reality throughout the year lots of Bible studies for kids, youth, men and women. Okay, lots of Bible studies in addition to our normal Sunday morning preaching, uh, midweek youth gathering preaching, discipleship groups, in addition to all of that. In the last two years, over a thousand of you have joined a Bible study throughout the week. That's good. That shows a high commitment to learning scripture, doctrine, and theology. This year at our church, you could have joined a group and studied James, John, Romans, Daniel, Esther, Genesis, the patriarchs, the historical books. You could have been a part of an overview of the Old Testament that we taught. For our high schoolers, we offered a course in an introduction to theology where they learned about justification, sanctification, apologetics, eschatology, kingdom theology, right? We're teaching this kind of stuff to our high schoolers. We spent time this year teaching our junior hires about biblical creationism and about world missions. Our kids in VBS this year learned all about what the Bible has to say in international missions. They learned about the persecuted church from Scripture. They learned about Bible translation. They learned about medical missions from Scripture. They learned about missions in general from Scripture. So we are, as a church, committed to the study of the Bible, theology and doctrine. We are a learning community. We are theological. Next, in a local church, people ought to be praying together. Again, the book of Acts. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. If there's one picture we get from the early church. They were devoted to prayer. That is what they did. And we have, on average, between our three campuses, 60 prayer meetings a month at Reality. 60 opportunities to pray corporately together. And we have about 400 people a month that participate in those prayer meetings. That's awesome. That is wonderful. That's enough people praying together to change the world. I would say we need more people, right? In a church our size, we should have more people praying together. So we want to invite you this year to catch that vision, to know that that's what the Bible says about being a local church, is that we pray together. And to be cheesy, a church that prays together stays together. And so let's commit ourselves to that this year. These 60 prayer meetings throughout the month include praying for our youth, our children, our community, our church, the poor and oppressed in our cities, our missionaries and the nations, our church plants, the evangelization of Muslims, and the Spanish-speaking community, particularly in Carpinteria, as we're now launching that new Spanish-speaking service to the glory of God. We need to pray because Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And the way that we let Jesus build his church in our midst is by engaging with him in and through prayer. Next, in a local church, people ought to be serving together to accomplish mission. First Peter says it well, chapter 4. God has given each of you a gift 
from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All power and glory to him forever and ever. Amen. So in a local church, people ought to be serving together and serving one another. We have more than 950 volunteer positions filled by over 760 different people in our church. That's awesome. One in every three people in our church are engaged in active service. You know what? Good job, reality. Good job. Really, truly serving one another. One in three engaged in service. From setting up to teaching our youth and children, to leading Bible studies, to praying for people, to laying hands on people, to visiting the sick, to hospitality, to cleaning, to facility care, to leading in worship, caring for people and resources. You guys are engaged. You're serving, you're volunteering, you're being the church together, and we are so thankful for that. I want to speak a blessing over those of you that serve in the church regularly. I'll go to my New American Standard for this. I just want to speak this blessing from Psalm 134 over all the men and women and children at all of our campuses that serve. Behold, bless the Lord, all the servants of the Lord. You who serve in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And may the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. God bless you guys for the way that you serve. We know it comes at much sacrifice and you're doing it for the glory of God and unto Christ. But it's a beautiful expression of the body. Now, there's room to grow in the area of service. It's one in every three. Why not three out of three serving together? I don't know. Why not? Right? God is calling us to serve. So there'll be lots of needs this year and lots of opportunities for you to respond. This is important though. The main place that we expect Christians to be faithful, the main place is not within the gathering of the church. The main place is in the scattering of the church. The idea of joining Christ on mission, Missio Christi, the mission of Christ. Responding to the fact that Jesus says to us, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And that does not mean for most of us getting on a plane and going somewhere else. It means merely realizing that we are right now a sent people. And wherever you are, housewife, mom, business owner, worker, student, surfer, wherever you are, God is calling you to be faithful and on mission in that place by the empowering of the Holy Spirit right now. That's something every single believer is called to. We are a sent people. We live life on mission with Jesus. We are missional. Next, in a local church, people ought to be getting trained, organized, and sent to live fruitful lives in mission, both locally and globally. Book of Ephesians says that Christ gave leaders in the church for the leaders in the church for the equipping of the saints, the church, for the work of ministry. Okay, the leadership is supposed to equip the rest of the church to do mission. Acts chapter 13 says the church fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and sent them out. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. So as a church, we want to train people to live fruitful lives 
And in 2012, we trained 986 people for living life on mission. 986 people. This training includes community group leader training, long, medium, and short-term missionary training, a sender school, training people to get people on the mission field and care for them while they're on the mission field, um, our class perspectives on the world Christian movement, training and mobilizing for local mission and care, education and equipping in issues like Islam and human trafficking, internships at our church continually going that produce leaders, our worship ministry training called the Kiln, trained over 200 people in the last year, youth and kids leaders, and church planners. We're committed to mission. We're committed to being faithful to Christ. And the leadership is committed to equipping the church. And so we have trained in 2012 986 people to be faithful. Now, to be faithful will always include international missions. Go into all the nations, said Jesus. So let's talk about international missions for a moment. In 2012, we sent 12 people on short-term mission trips. That's six months or less. Two people on medium-term mission trips. That's one to two years. That's a, that's a pretty big commitment. And we've supported 20 long-term missionaries in 2012. So right now, we have missionaries and missionaries being supported, if you look at this graphic, in Mexico, Nepal, Guatemala, Guatemala, Honduras, Ecuador, Venezuela, Tanzania, Australia, Haiti, Thailand, Japan, China, Ethiopia, Egypt, South Africa, Israel, Turkey, Norway, England, France, and Indonesia. Yeah, praise God. That's our international missionary activity in the year 2012. We're so blessed the Lord has allowed us to do that. So kind of him. Now, where we really want to focus as a church, where we're focusing right now and in the future is on long-term missionaries. Okay, we want to develop men and women like our missionary Ron in Thailand, who's been there for almost 40 years, starting orphanages and churches and raising up leaders, right? He, he's we, we want to raise up men and women like that. We want people to go out from this church right now that will be on the mission field for 40 years starting orphanages and churches and raising up leaders. We want men and women like Meryl and Teresa in South America who are just completing a 30-year project of translating the Bible into a brand new language. I mean, yeah, praise God for that. 30 years ago, they showed up in the jungles of South America found an unreached people group, learned to live there, learned the culture, learned the language, and they're now translating the whole Bible into that language. That people group will forever be changed because one man and one woman said, we'll go long term. Ah, that is so good. So that, that's what we want to be about. As a church, we, we want to raise up men and women and children like that. And right now, we've got families in the pipe, whole families that are saying we're committed and we're training them and raising them. So, raising them up. So, in, in the last 10 years, our church is almost 10, in our 10 years of existence, we've sent out 11 long-term missionaries. In 2013, we'll send out 11 more. We're going to double that number in 2013. And, like, 
these guys are gnarly. They're going to crazy places. Nepal, Pakistan, Ethiopia, North Africa. Can't tell you where. It's a secret. Turkey, gnarly places. So God's doing a wonderful thing with regards to that. All glory to God. We are committed to going to the nations to fulfill the great commission that Christ has called us to. Our God is a missionary God who came to us in Christ to save us. So we must be a missionary people that go to others with the good news of Jesus Christ that they might be saved. Next, a local church ought to be reproducing. I don't have a verse for that. That is simply the story of Christian history. That is the story of the book of Acts. That the church reproduces. That more churches come from churches. And what we're into is church birthing, right? We, we, we like to birth other churches. And reality is a small church birthing movement. And our goal is not to plant many churches. Our goal is to plant healthy churches. Okay, that's our goal as a church birthing body is not to plant many, but to plant healthy churches that are long-term sustainable. And so you guys know our firstborn church was Reality LA, January 22nd, 2006. Our little baby, our firstborn child, has now outgrown us. Their Sunday attendance is larger than ours. They've got a bigger population base, but no one's counting. Church of about 3,000 people in the heart of Los Angeles, Hollywood, preaching the gospel. They've baptized over 200 people in the last year alone. God is doing an incredible work through Reality Los Angeles. Just an amazing work. We're so grateful. We're so proud of them. They're looking at launching a second campus um, this year, perhaps. Reality Stockton, our second child, born September 2nd. 2007 is doing very well. They've planted another church called Remedy in Lodi, which is also doing well. So they're reproducing. They've got a vision to reach the whole city. Um, they've been faithful there. You'll remember that Josh was called in a prophetic vision when he was a child to that city. He's there for life. And they've had tremendous difficulties. He's got chronic illnesses, um, chronic headaches that are uh, debilitating. And uh, it's been a difficult road there. But right now, the church is healthy and on mission, and we're so proud of them. Pray for them frequently. Reality London was our first grandchild planted by Reality Los Angeles on August 23rd of 2008. Reality London has had a tough go of it. It's been a real tough five years there. And there's been some success, but Mark and Lizzie, our church planners there, their visa is up this year, and they're going to be coming home. So Reality London won't be meeting on Sundays anymore uh, after this month, after February. Tough ground there. We learned a lot as a church planning movement. We're looking to learning from them. They're going to remain in the family. They're praying about where they're going to land right now. But we're thankful to have had a small part of mission in London, England. Reality San Francisco, born January 10 of 2010, is now the largest Protestant church in the city of San Francisco. They are flourishing where we were told churches go to die. Everybody said, don't go to San Francisco. That's where churches go to die. They are flourishing in that city. They just moved into a new facility, um, about 1,500 seats. Uh, their attendance is about 1,200 people. And they have a vision to plant churches all throughout the city of San Francisco. God's grace is so 
radically on them. They're doing incredible things, incredible things. We're so proud of them. It's all Jesus, all the glory to God. And then our newest baby, Reality Boston. Planted, or born, excuse me, September 16th, 2012, just a few months old. And I just talked to Pastor Al this morning. He called me and I, I picked up and I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm driving to church and it's snowing, man. It's snowing again. <laughs> and it's been a huge adjustment for he and his wife, Nina, and their little girls, Nevaeh, Charlotte, and Phoenix. It's been a huge adjustment, leaving their family and all their friends and moving to Boston. It's been tough. Uh, that area of the country is the least churched part of the United States. It's the toughest ground in the United States. And in just a few months old, they've got 130 people every Sunday gathering, which is amazing for Boston. <clears throat> but it's really hard work. It's really hard work. Pray for Al and the team. We had 26 people move from this church to Boston to be a part of that church plan. That's so radical. Those people are radical. And uh, right now, they're just concentrating on developing leaders because they're there to build for the long term. So a local church ought to be reproducing. We are doing such by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And we have some other things planned, which are secret for the moment. <laughs> Next, in a local church, people ought to be giving generously to the Lord and pulling resources in order to accomplish mission. Again, the book of Acts and those who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, when it comes to finances, <clears throat> let me say this. I'll just read it because I wrote it out very carefully. Reality seeks to be above reproach in our stewardship of God's financial resources given by the local church. We maintain an open book policy, have a full-time CPA on staff, and choose to be annually reviewed according to generally accepted accounting principles by an independent certified public accounting firm. Now I'm going to read you a quote from uh, the vice president of a large bank. Uh, the reason that I, I'm going to read this quote from him is because God recently gave us the grace to buy our building in Ventura which was absolutely incredible. It set us up for long-term mission in the city of Ventura. Listen to what God did. We, we got this building for $2.75 million. Before we bought it, we had saved 402000 And then we raised two hundred ninety-five more. So almost $700,000 going into it. Listen to the deal we got. When we bought it, our monthly payments went down and our square footage increased by a third. Like what, like, what, what idiot doesn't buy that? Just God's grace that we got that place. Our, our monthly payments went down and we increased our square footage by one third. So on that, we are carrying 1.9 million in debt. I'll tell you this, the average church in America, our size, carries $8.2 million in debt. So we're very thankful for God's grace on us. And we went to this bank, Cass Bank, and we got a loan from them. And here's what the vice president said. We've worked with many, many churches across the country. And after reviewing Reality's financials, both their financial strength and kingdom focus made us confident and eager to partner with them financially in ministry. As a bank serving churches and ministries across the country, we are blessed to be a part of what God is doing at Reality. That's just good. Glory to God. 
So when we talk about giving, tithes and offerings at reality, we realize that our giving is motivated by Scripture and the gospel, right? The Bible has a lot to say about money. There's about 2,000 verses in the Bible on money. There's only 500 on prayer and only 500 in faith. Why are there 2,000 on money? Because God really wants your money. No, that's not it. It's because we really want our money. That's why. The issue is not that God is into money. It's that we're so into money. And God is into our hearts. And our hearts get wrapped around our wallets. And so the Bible has a lot to say about money and finances and giving. And the gospel teaches us much. We are compelled to be a generous people because God has been generous to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You understand that? We are generous because God has been generous to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Corinthians communicates this. 2 Corinthians 8 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So I want to say this. I want to say reality. By God's grace, you guys have done incredibly well in generosity. You are a very generous church. You have gotten the fact that since we have been given everything in Christ, we can give away much for Christ. Our giving and tithes and offerings this year total $4.9 million. Yeah, that's pretty cool. $4.9 million. That's up 9% from last year. Okay, so our giving increased over the last year. 85% of us gave in 2012. That is so good. That is so good. I applaud you guys. 85% of us gave in 2012. That's astounding. Our average weekly giving per adult in attendance is $41.54. Let me give you a little context for that. The average church in America that is our size, their same giving measurement is $26.77. So at $46, we are $41, excuse me, we are way, way above average in generosity. You guys are doing an incredible job. We are a generous church because we get that God in Christ has been very generous with us. Want to do a little campus breakdown on this, a little campus comparison, okay? The Carpinteria campus, the mothership, the one that started it all, birthed all the other churches and campuses. And little old Carpinteria is now 14% of our total attendance. But they give 19.7% of our income. The Ventura campus is our biggest campus. Okay, They're 47% of our total attendance. And they give 45% of our income. The Santa Barbara campus makes up 38.5% of our total attendance and gives 21% of our total income. Now those numbers, those percentages on income don't add up to 100 because 14% was given to mission and church planning and you couldn't track where it came from. But the point is this, Carpinteria, the mothership, as she always has, gives more than her share. Good job, Carpinteria. Ventura... It's very, doing very well, and by God's grace, pulling its weight. It's giving what it should. Santa Barbara campus has a little bit of room to grow. Now, part of that is demographics. We have a lot of college students. 
And college students ain't got no dough. <laughs> right? You're po. Like, I got 50 bucks from my mom. Well, tithe on the 50 bucks. But you haven't got much. We understand that. And this is a very young church, and that's okay. Part of it is the fact that it's a new campus, and this is not the first time we've done this. We know that it takes a couple years for a campus to begin more self-sufficient and catch up in giving. And really the issue is discipleship. The elders and the leadership realize that we need to disciple this young campus and what it means to be faithful in Christian living and what generosity looks like. So that's one of our goals for the next couple years. So you guys are doing well as a young campus, just over a year old. There's room to grow and we'll grow in that together. So we're thankful for you and we're proud for you, proud of you. Now, where is the money going? First of all, as I'm obviously urging people to tithe, we want you to know that as a church, we tithe. We try to model biblical generosity. And so for everything that comes in, came in in 2012, 17.3% of it went right back out to working in the kingdom in other places. Okay? A, a tithe on the tithe, but it was more than a tithe. The tithe is 10%. For everything that came in, 17.3% we gave away outside to the work of the kingdom, outside of our four walls. So that would be church plants, helping other churches, local and international missions and projects, benevolence, assisting, assisting the poor, so on and so forth. To give a little context, the average church in America in our size gave away 13.1%. So we're above average in that area by God's grace. You guys are generous. Where is the money going? We've got a little pie chart for you here. Discipleship making events and outreaches, okay, camps and retreats, youth camps, stuff like that, 8.5%. Church birthing and international missions, 11.3% of everything that comes in. Operations is 12.1%. Facilities is 25.7%. We've got multiple facilities in multiple cities. And personnel is 42.5%. So put that in context a little bit. We're well above average in giving away money, getting outside the four walls, and we're below average in the area of personnel, which is the biggest part of our budget and of most church budgets. But most churches our size in America, it's 45% of their budget. For us, it's 42%. Our goal is to steward God's resources according to the Spirit's leading with the wisdom He supplies. But what we realize is that we can make plans but the Lord determines our steps, right? So to help us understand a little bit about money, we can look at our plan on a weekly scale because these are big numbers, 4.9 million, and then percentages, 17.3%. What does that mean? So let's break it down to a weekly scale that we could all understand, especially college kids. We can get this here. Little money, little money. Um, This gives us a clear picture of how much is given per adult each week in tithes and offerings and how we invest those funds in the kingdom. So we have this graphic here. When you give $40 at reality, where do we invest it in the kingdom? Average giving per adult, $41.50. Okay, this is planning, so we just round it down. $41.50. $21.50 of that each week goes to church costs. That's local church staff, local mission, and operations. $10.25 goes to facilities costs, property payment and maintenance at all our facilities. $2.75% of every $40 you give goes right to church birthing, investments in new realities and other churches. We don't just fund realities, we fund other churches. $3.75 goes to mission, 
investment in local and international gospel-centered projects. And then, by the grace of God, there's a margin that we plan for, okay? We plan for $3.25 in margin. Positive margin each week allows us to maintain sufficient reserves and be prepared for any unexpected opportunities that God may provide. So then, what we do is, as stewards of God's resources, we make adjustments every quarter. Every quarter, we make adjustments to this plan. That's our plan for 2013. We make adjustments according to how the giving is looking. Since income and expenses vary month to month, helps us to make sure that we're not spending more than we're bringing in. And i got to say about 2012, that it was the hardest year we've ever had with regards to finances. Right? It's a good picture, 4.9 million, up 9%, but it was the most difficult challenging year that we've ever had with regards to finances and the elders would say and the staff would say as a church in general lots of growth and change issues right lots of growth and change starting the campus planting churches people shifting lots of growth and change not everybody's comfortable with change we understand that carpinteria going to video being new in santa barbara not not everyone's down with those things and we totally get that so that's been difficult in lots of ways Lots of staff issues as far as illness. We have a lot of people on staff who have diseases. We've been dropped by insurance three times in the last year. Uh, lots of sick staff children, lots of hospital time, tremendous difficulties. Unusual amount in 2012 of dissension and divisiveness within the body. Just been tough in that area. And leadership has been guilty as anyone else. Remember, it's not an us-them thing. It's an us thing. It's a we together. But 2012 has been difficult relationally on a lot of levels. Divisiveness, um, dissension, spiritual attack of all sorts. We've been talking amongst the elders and the level of spiritual attack going into this year feels like it did 10 years ago when we were first starting uh, the church in Carpinteria. It just feels like it's ramped up to a whole new level. It just feels like and the enemy's just rallying forces, and we're just getting attacked in every way. So it's been tough, and these challenges have been reflected in the giving patterns of our church in 2012. Let me give you some numbers. In 2012, we had 760 new givers. That sounds good. Like, wow, 760 people gave in 2012 that didn't give in 2011. That's good. But we had 1,166 people who gave in 2011 that did not give in 2012. That's a net loss of about 400 people. 400 people less giving last year than the year before. We had a lot of people leave our church in the last year for lots of reasons. We're still trying to sort through what that is. But we had lots of people come to our church in the last year. So our attendance right now is the same as it was a year ago. Right? There's been no growth this year. For the first time ever in our church, our attendance is the same right now as it was a year ago. We've had lots of people leave, lots of people come. There's been lots of attack. There's been um, lots of issues. There's been lots of change. We get that. We get that. And yet, still, with regards to finances, with all that change, and with all the leaving and coming and going, we're still up 9%. That's God's grace. That's the grace of God that we got there. We got to where we needed to be financially, but it was turbulent. Six out of 12 months this year, we ran in the red. 
Okay, so we weren't bringing in as much as was going out for half the year. That's why we started making some big decisions. Like, we're not serving coffee anymore on Sunday mornings, right? Some of you have been tripping on that. You're like, I can't do Jesus without coffee. Like, this, this is so un-American. Like, wh- what's going on? We understand that's difficult. We, we feel it too. But we were spending almost 30 grand a year on coffee between our three campuses. And when we look at half a year where we're running in the red, we're saying like, dude, that's a no-brainer. Like, we're not spending 30 grand on something that becomes urine an hour later. <laughs> like, we just can't in good conscience do stuff like that. So I, I don't know if we'll ever have pee, I mean coffee again. <laughs> we'll, see what, we'll see what God does. Um, October and November were especially difficult. We were very far in the red, and then in December, we had a tremendous display of generosity from you guys, the body. You guys just gave in an amazing way, um, and so we ended up 9% over last year, which is just unbelievable if you had seen our prayer and fasting and weeping before the Lord. So we praise God for his generosity, the generosity of you guys. Uh, here's a good analogy from our pastor for finances and operations. He said, in the past, our financial pictures looked like a realist painting as the year progressed. It was clear, precise, predictable, and beautiful. This year, it was like an impressionistic painting. Up close, it looked messy, disheveled, and didn't make sense. But at the end, you step back and you look, and it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It was a scary year financially. But you guys are generous. You guys were faithful. God, Christ was faithful. We're very thankful. We're very thankful. We're thankful that the Lord had told us as elders a couple years ago to live within our means. We had always prayed about our income. We'd say, Lord, what's your goal for our income and how should we pray toward it? And we prayed toward it and we'd hit it. And then about a year later, we'd say, God, what's the new goal? And you give us a new goal and we pray toward it and we hit it. And a couple of years ago, we said, God, what's the new goal? And he said, stop. Live within your means. There is no new goal. Learn to live within your means. And that didn't make sense to us at the time. We were in a big growth pattern, uh, but we began to do that, and we're thankful that we did. And by God's grace, we made it, though it was turbulence. Now, as we looked at that turbulence financially, here's what we think about finances. Finances are, are, are not the main thing, but they're often symptomatic of more important things. Okay, so when we see this up and down financial year, we begin to think there might be some problems here. And what the leadership of the church did first in thinking there might be problems is look to themselves. Okay, we didn't start going, what's wrong with the church and the sheep and why aren't they giving? We've done that in the past, but but this time we learned a little and we begin to say, what's wrong with us? Where have we perhaps erred? Lord, show us what's going on. It's been difficult financial. That's only a symptom of something. What's happening? So four things that we realized that that God showed us. All of these play a factor in the turbulent financial year. I'll list them for you in order of least important to most important. Least important is macroeconomic trends. Okay, it's just been a difficult economic picture for America the last few years. Many churches were feeling it years ago. We didn't feel it because we had generally been in a growth and expansion pattern. So we didn't feel the macroeconomic trends. We're feeling that to some degree this year. Secondly, demographic changes at reality. As I said, there's been a lot of change. A lot of people leave, a lot of people come. 
So there's, there's, there's been a change. We've had some givers go and some new Christians come in, some people that aren't giving yet, so on and so forth. Demographic change. To some degree, we feel as eldership there's been a loss of confidence in reality by some. With so much change happening, with so much being tumultuous, uh, with the divisiveness and the going on that we play a, a part in, to some degree there's been a loss in confidence. We understand that and we're working to address that. And the main issue we discerned is sin among the leadership. Sin among the leadership. As we prayed and fasted and asked the Lord about what, what is this financial picture symptomatic of, he showed us that a bunch of us elders had roots of bitterness in our heart. As I said, it's been a difficult year relationally. It's, it's really been difficult. And it wasn't uh, elder to elder. It, it, it was leadership with people in the church and people outside the church and other relationships. But a lot of us have wounded people. A lot of us have been wounded. And we, against Scripture allowed a root of bitterness to bring up in our hearts by which many are defiled, Hebrews says. So as elders, we've been on our face repenting, begging the Lord's forgiveness, and we're working on going to people to make things right, to be at peace with all men so much as it depends upon us. We realize that our sin as leaders affects the church. And the turbulent financial year was symptomatic or emblematic of that fact. And so we've repented of roots of bitterness and we're working very hard to be at peace with all men so much as it depends upon us. So we're looking to remedy all those things. Living within our means, we're going to make better efforts to understand who now calls reality home with a demographic change. Reassessing our values and reporting our work with regards to a loss of confidence and repenting of sin and roots of bitterness. Now, here's where we finish up. With all of this in mind, and looking back on what God has done by his grace and for his glory over the last year, we are very, very thankful. Christ has sustained us. And we are incredibly excited about 2013 beyond. We believe, after praying and fasting, that the best days of reality are ahead. The best days are ahead. But there's much to be done. We still need to grow, right? We still need to grow in mission, in generosity, in serving, in commitment, in relationships. We understand that. So here's our commitments for 2013. We are committed in 2013, afresh and anew, to making disciples, growing deeper in Christ, building reality for the long term, and seeking the person of the Holy Spirit. Those are our 2013 commitments. Let me explain a bit. We have recommitted ourselves to giving careful attention to the person of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because. Because we feel a tremendous burden for the day when we will stand before Christ as his stewards and he will ask us, in what ways were you making disciples with your life and your church and your activities and your finances and your gifts and your talents? All of us will stand before Christ. Every Christian will stand before Christ and give an answer for our faithfulness and making disciples. And the elders have felt a tremendous burden of that day. Maybe it's near. Please, Jesus, let it be near. Maybe it's near, but we feel this real burden. We're going to stand before Christ and you're going to say, okay, reality, tell us about how you made disciples. We're also sensing a call to build for the long term. We've never done this, okay? We've never been farsighted. It's always been just reacting to the growth, reacting to change, reacting to what's going on. 
But now, as we're going to be turning 10 in the fall, we want to build the church for 10 years from now. We want to begin to build the church for our children. We want to begin to build for a healthy reality at year 20. Okay, so we're committed to building for the long term, which means making wise decisions in the immediate. We also feel called, I want you to get this, to lead the church deeper this year. Deeper and not merely wider. Okay? We've been real purposeful the last few years of leading the church wider. We always said our goal is to explain and expose Jesus to as many people as possible. Okay? We just want to reach as many as we can. And that's still true, but we really feel that the Spirit is calling us to grow our church deeper in the person of Jesus Christ. That the focus is not wide anymore. We still want to reach people and we will. But the focus is how do we enjoy Jesus together and go deeper in faithfulness and holiness, experiencing Christ and his life in our midst. We want to go deeper. So all of that then requires a fresh and intense commitment by leadership and us to seeking the person of the Holy Spirit. Because how do we, how do, we do that? How do we lead deeper? And how do we really make disciples and not just do stuff? And how do we build for 10 years from now? How do we build a reality for our children? We have no idea how to do that, which means we have to be desperate for the person of the Holy Spirit because Christ is the senior pastor of the church and the Spirit reveals to us the mind of Christ. And in the book of Acts, the Spirit is the one who leads the church in mission at every decision and junction and expansion and depth. So we are committed this year to diving into the person of the Holy Spirit as we never have before. These things, these commitments, are reflected in our 2013 preaching schedule, which I'll share for you right now. Okay, so a commitment to discipleship, going deeper, building for a long-term person of the Holy Spirit. Here's what the preaching will look like for the rest of the year. In February, we're doing this mission and vision reporting. Okay, so this is reporting. The next few weeks will be vision. I'm scheduled to do the teaching for all of that. We'll see how that goes with my life situation. That's February. In March, we're going to take the entire month of March. Easter's at the end of March. We're going to take the entire month of March to celebrate and exegete the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's not Easter day. It's Easter month. March is Easter month. And we're going to be pre... Yeah, praise God. Preaching, teaching, learning about and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lazo is scheduled to do that teaching. March 31st is the celebration, Easter. It's going to change a little bit this year. We're still going to be at City College in Santa Barbara, but we're going to be going deeper. The focus is not going to be on the altar call and evangelism. The focus is going to be on celebrating the fact that he is risen. So we'll fill you in more on that. People will still get saved, trust me. April through May, we're going to be back in Ephesians, doing Ephesians 1 through 18. We're going to be looking to grow the church in faithful holiness as we look at that text. Chris Lazo, my dear brother, is scheduled to teach that. 
The entire summer we are christening, dubbing the Summer of the Spirit. We will be doing 12 weeks of teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. I am scheduled to be teaching that. We will also have, Lord willing, maybe, a practicum. Our midweek services will be resumed for the summer, and we'll be looking to experience the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit in those settings. On September 8th, reality turns 10 to the glory of God and by His grace. And then in September through November, we'll be back in the rest of Ephesians 5 and into Ephesians 6. And we'll be talking about what does it mean to be faithful in singleness. Church hasn't always given enough and proper theological attention to that. In singleness, in marriage, in family, in parenting, and in the workplace. Those are the topics of Ephesians 5 and 6. So we're going to talk about that. And then that will be accompanied because we want to make disciples by one-day seminars. So throughout the fall, we'll have one-day seminars on being faithful as a single, being faithful and biblical in your marriage, being faithful as parents, being faithful as children, and being faithful in the workplace. So we're making to look disciples, uh, making to look, looking to make disciples in the fall in those ways. And then in December, it's not going to be Christmas Day. It's going to be Christmas month. We're going to take the whole month to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. So same thing, we'll be teaching and preaching on the birth of Jesus Christ and what that means for the whole world. So that preaching plan is evidential of the fact that we are endeavoring to go deeper, make disciples, build for the long term, and give careful attention to the Holy Spirit. And here's where we end. And I want to say this to you, reality. In many markers, we are an above-average church. In many markers, we, by God's grace, are way above average. There's reason to rejoice. God's grace is on us, and it's only by God's grace. And all glory to God, and thank you, Jesus. But we should not settle there because the standard of comparison is subpar. All those comparisons are amongst the American church. The American church is not our standard. Our standard is Scripture and the Gospel and Christ Himself. Therefore, by God's grace and for God's glory, we must allow in 2013 and beyond the Holy Spirit to take us further and deeper. But thus far, reality, good job. I'm very proud of you. Not to us, O Lord, not to us. But to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praises in the coastlands. Praise God. Ah, oh, Lord, we rejoice in these things. These are evidence of your grace among us. Lord, that you would take people such as us and do good things is surely you and not us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the evidence of grace. Thank you, Christ, that you're present. Thank you, Father, that you saved us through the Son. Thank you, Spirit, that you glorified Jesus in our midst. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord, and we look forward to the years to come. We read the Bible and we know that you can do even more. And so in all humble boldness, in light of all that you've done, we would say together, Christ, do more.
do more for your glory. Do more for your praises in Santa Barbara, Carpinteria, Ventura, and among the nations. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen.